0: Out among the olives, as I began to fit stones into place in the wall I was building, I thought, as if it were the first time, about what I wanted. All of my life people had chosen for me. My father, or the king of Sunnis, his magus, or the king's other advisers. All my life they had made choices for me, and I had resented it. Now the choice was mine, and once it was made, I would have no right to blame anyone else for the consequences. Loss of that privilege to blame others, unexpectedly stung.
1: Sophos, whatever you do, choose what'll make you happiest. Unhappiest.
0: Wait, what? I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And I'm Blythe. That's right, our first post-pandemic guest. This is the Aetolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief.
1: It's July 26th, 2020. I opened my August calendar yesterday and saw the false previous Return of the Thief release date for the 25th, and for a second, no! <laughs> I got so excited before remembering the date has been moved and I just forgot to delete the calendar entry.
0: I genuinely, at this point, don't even know when it's coming out. Like, I know I pre ordered it, but it could come out. Tomorrow and I wouldn't know until they shipped me the book. Oh yeah, I've I've given it's up. I just... still October sixth. Okay, I think. surprised. Yeah, it'll just be a nice little surprise. I'll I'll be like, oh, a package for me, a book. What is this? And then I'll open it and then I'll run around screaming for like twenty minutes. <laughs> I didn't even know she was writing this one. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere. This is a chapter where Sophos escapes slavery by. Passing a vibe check. <laughs> like, he just, he gets up and he's like, I'm leaving, Octo. And Octo's like, hmm, sounds right. Roll for persuasion. <laughs> this actually, this, this does, I feel like this would be a really fun book to view in the context of, like, as if it was a and d game. We were thinking about that when we were reading The Thief. But then oh, we sort yeah, of forgot about right. it. I was actually... Thinking the other day, um, a DD group that I'm in is exploring a temple right now and it has a hidden room in the middle. And it was making me think about like and DD dungeon based off of the temple in The Thief. Yeah, if this one were a D&D campaign, it would be a lot of charisma based roles. Yeah, which <laughs> Sophos does surprisingly well on. So a lot of emphasis is placed on
1: choice in this chapter and the last chapter, how this is a so pivotal moment where he has to choose if he wants to try to go back to that life. But what's interesting is, like, okay, sure, it, it was his choice, and he had that whole conversation with Moira last chapter about choice and what does he want, but it also comes down to Octo's choice, and Garon's maid has a choice here, too. So, like, if either of them hadn't been on board with helping him out, this might not have worked, which I had never considered on previous rereads. That never stood out to me, but Octo could have said no.
0: Yeah, it's not just on him. But also, they really make it seem like it is! Yeah. yeah.
1: So I'm just kind of wondering why do you why do you think that is? And, I mean, I guess there is a little bit about, like, you know, when he's thinking this over he realizes, you know, I don't have permission to go swim because I am a slave and Octo could have waved his hand and all the men would have jumped on me and I couldn't have gone. So, like, he is thinking about it, but I feel like it's kind of more of a a background detail.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's got something to do with, like, royalty and sort of the weight that the choices and decisions of royalty and rulers have. And then also kind of remembering that this is being told in hindsight to Helen. So I kind of lost my train of thought there. But something about how he could also be understating things or overstating things. And how he's also kind of looking back on it with the weight, I guess, of having been Sunus for a lot longer, relatively. Yeah. It's a weird example of the way that different people's choices are valued in different ways we can see when we step back that Octo's decision and the maid's decision are just as important as the choices that Sophos is making, but it's Sophos's choices that are going to be remembered as historically significant. And, like, he understands that their choices are important enough that he includes them in this story, but I think even Sophos is biased in that way. Maybe this isn't right. But I feel like the series as a whole, like, moves further and further towards the perspectives and value of actually disenfranchised people as it goes along. Like in the first book, Jen is pretending to be a poor person, but then actually he was a noble all along. Sounds like a lot of people at Hampshire College. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. gotta uh, take a minute to dig at the alma mater. (laughs) I support it. But then we have Thick as Thieves, where it's actually about Kamet, who is actually a slave. And he's not like a prince who, through unfortunate circumstances, ended up a slave for a couple of months. He's been enslaved his entire life. That's actually something that I hadn't really thought about, is sort of the parallel between Sophos and Comet. I pronounce it Comet. Sorry. A new chapter. Um, in the we're probably wrong every once. time. I have actually was noticing when I was reading this that I have a serious problem of mentally pronouncing Edis as Edis every single time. Um, even though I know that the characters would be saying Edis.
1: Um, Wouldn't they be saying Edis? Well, wasn't, only, that, the, only, well, wasn't that the old word, old pronunciation? Yeah, Edis, but so right? only
0: the Edisians would be saying Edis, like um, and maybe people who are, like, friends with Edisians, but, like, reading King of Atolia, I, I was, like, reading it as Atolian saying Edis, and I was like, wait, that's not right. None of these Atolians would be saying Edis. Yeah, they're probably saying Edis and Jen's eye is twitching every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something else that interests me about this choice that Sophos makes is that, according to him, in this account of the story he's not thinking about Helen right now right he's I'm just, sure <laughs> <laughs> the way he tells it is I was just thinking about how I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be a failure and it's gonna suck again but I have to do it and not like if I had stayed he would never have seen her again oh thanks but well, well. And, like, he's, <laughs> but he's framing that as the choice that would have made him happy to her yeah <laughs> Which is weird. <laughs> to be fair, as that's we so see, funny. like, much later in the book, Sophos is not always very smart about Helen's feelings. <laughs> he yes. is, in fact, noticeably bad at thinking about Helen's feelings sometimes, even though they care about each other very much. He's a bit obtuse. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's true. He's He's literally talking to Helen and he doesn't say anything about, like, Oh, but of course, because I love you so much, I came back. And, like, is that out of him still feeling at that point, like, he doesn't want to admit how important she is to him?
1: We, we get in, like, after, in the next, like, section or whatever, when it's revealed that he's talking to her, don't we get something like he you know, he's still not sure at that point if she does want to marry him and he feels like he's not really enough for her. So maybe when he's telling the story, he doesn't want to, like, presume that her feelings Mm, have changed, haven't changed. That's where I kind of see this coming from.
0: And maybe, because I think he becomes more willing to include the idea of her as a factor in his experience as this story goes on. And, like, is that a change in his comfort with doing that as he's composing this which would have taken time during which he is with her. Both in like fandom terms and in the books Sophos and Helen's relationship gets overshadowed because Jen and Irene are so busy like being dramatic, throwing ink pots, dismembering each other, getting wounded, fainting, drawing guards into potential threesomes, you know, whatever they're
1: definitely the intention seekers
0: yeah out and so all that, the t- out of all the ships it's like if Sophos and helen are looking at that and being like oh i guess that's what it's like when kings and queens are in romantic relationships <laughs> <laughs> then of course Sophos and helen are way more low-key about their relationship because they're like in comparison to jan and irene like we're totally normal and we're not doing all of that is this really love (laughs) if we're not throwing ink pots at each other and having the guard compulsory heterosexuality but instead it's like compulsory compulsory drama so
1: at the beginning of this chapter we get more about this is this is when uh sophos sees his father ride by he's the catalyst for his whole choice whatever and he narrates I was a failure as a prince, a man, and a son, and I doubted very much that he would care that I was still alive.
0: That's so depressing, and it's not even true. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You know, this opinion and Sophus' other opinions about, like, his father just hates him. He says later in this chapter, he thinks he would be returning to being uh, despised as useless and unwelcome even in my own home. It's at such odds with his father's behavior in the next chapter. So I just want to keep this in mind as we go forward.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, his dad's definitely not the ideal dad, but he does care about him, both for selfish and non-selfish reasons. Yeah, And Sophos isn't even considering the idea that his disappearance might have led his father to maybe reconsider... (laughs) some of his behavior before we talk about barone let's look at our bag of coins and go to the break oh barone she's so sweet she's very gullible and the maid is just i picture her standing behind her like with her arms crossed like here we go again just like forbiddingly shaking her head But, even though the maid knows that Sophos is full of shit, she still helps. Because she knows he's not totally full of shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she can tell he's not asleep. There's... That's what she
0: says. Yeah, that's also a thing that comes up in this chapter. The fact that, like, Sophos has some intrinsic... air Kingliness? Kingliness to him, nobility. Which is such, like, a... Greek ancient literature mm, I don't know.
1: I don't know that I would call it kingliness and nobility, though. Like, I feel like it was just like Octo was just kind of saying, like, you've clearly never
0: worked You have no sense, is how he puts it.
1: Yeah, how he would spend, like, half the morning looking at, looking at a grasshopper, whereas if he had been born a slave, he would not have been able to get away with that, so he would not be in that <laughs> habit. I think
0: it's, it's interesting how Octo ends that Little paragraph with you have no sense because you think it's gonna be like I can just tell that you're you're too good for this life. But Octo is actually like you. You just kind of suck at your job. You can go. They don't
1: have to account for him to anyone because he was like not supposed to be there in the first place, too. Yeah,
0: true. Which I, which I
1: think that. is probably if he had been actually bought and had been supposed to be there, Octo might not have let that happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Speculation, but.
0: Yeah, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but the whole thing of, like, the circumstances worked out just right so that he wasn't as likely to be missed, Octo letting him go, uh, the maid um, encouraging Barone to go along with the plan. This all feels a lot like someone's interfering in the fates of humankind again.
1: Yeah, exactly. We were wondering last episode, you know, how much of this is human behavior and how much of this is the god so i feel like this is definitely like a lot of things that could have gone very wrong went right
0: yeah i feel like a conspiracy of kings like really relies on coincidences even more so than like other Mm -hmm. books like barone just happens to be there and he just happens to know that she's nice and he just happens to see his dad on the road and right and like i don't want to give credit to the characters in the story for the decisions that they're making but they certainly are set up to make the correct decisions which brings Mm us back to that Helen quote of uh, the gods know me so well that they can predict my decisions it's not that they make my decisions for me Yeah, which I was just reading that because like I said I was rereading all the books before this and that also I feel like I don't remember if you guys have said this or not, but that also really reminded me of Jen and how Jen is so good at knowing what people will do. Yeah, ooh, it's very godlike of him. Ooh. (laughs) And in this, wait, is it this chapter? Yo, it is this chapter. In this chapter, Sophos prays to the god Eugenides. Oh, yeah. Wait, does he? Where is it? I totally missed that. Yeah, that
1: when he's talking to Barone, he's praying to Eugenides that, own will remember him. Will will not remember him as a prince, but just as a slave. And then he realizes she doesn't even remember him
0: as a slave. Yeah, I crack up whenever <laughs> I read that. Oh, she said, "You're that slave I bought." <laughs> it's just so, so anticlimactic. She doesn't even remember him at all. Of oh, this whole human being whose life I interfered in. <laughs> yeah, but he prays to Eugenides. And, like, it feels like a continuation of the way that he's been thinking, what would my friend Eugenides do for Mm -hmm. the whole book? Yeah.
1: And he calls Eugenides uh, the old god of deception. Mm
0: -hmm. I feel like secretly this whole book series is just Jen going around converting all of his friends to (laughs) nurturing Eugenides. (laughs) It's a locally grown artisanal cult. (laughs) That's just what we called my middle school. (laughs) Oh, another thing I wanted to bring up in this chapter is that Sophos gets that houseboy beaten, and he does not think twice about it. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. and then I think it's like, it might have been in the next chapter or something, he does something that I was like, that's probably going to get that person killed. Dude. Yeah.
1: Even though, you know, he caused those consequences for the houseboy without thinking about it. Uh, his conscience hits him over the head with Barone, who is the person least likely to suffer from any of his actions. But he narrates, I was returning a bitter payment for her kindnesses, even if they were stupid kindnesses. And the maid says, like, you will remember what you owe her. I mean, okay, okay, I guess we learn from the end of the book,
0: like, she gets, like, yelled at, (laughs) but that's it? I, I don't want to, um make disparaging assumptions about Sophos but I feel like this is Sophos kind of returning to his quote-unquote rightful social position mm-hmm. yeah might also be some sexism True. oh yeah yeah Sophos I love you but this does feel gendered TM he wants to be like chivalrous towards her mm.
1: but it is also worth noting that even though he has a little twinge of conscience about Barone he still goes forward with it with both her and what he did with the housewife because he has a goal here
0: yeah that was one thing that I was thinking about throughout reading this chapter was even though Sophos thinks of himself as not being king-like he's very king-like in this chapter he's really good, at, I can never remember the difference, he's really good at strategy or tactics or whichever one this is in this chapter and the next one and he he's always like oh I'm terrible at everything that involves being kingly but he's like Almost on gen level scheming here. Building walls is honest and being king is inherently dishonest? Maybe? There is that story. Yeah, and I was gonna say there's the the moon guy. Moon guy and his his buddy. Moon guy and his buddy. I just read King of Atolia and I've already (laughs) forgotten their (laughs) names. I always forget about that story. What was it?
1: Quemon and Jero's Maybe. Yes, Yes. I think that's right. That's how you say
0: it. (laughs) Gerasthenes? Also, another really convenient thing is at the very end of this chapter, when the brother shows up and is basically like, Hello, I am planning to kill your father. He's so excited to just like, wink, wink. I'm supposed to wear my knife. To dinner, like Barone is gonna know what's going on. The only person who that communicates anything to is us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just wants to look cool in front of his kid sister. <laughs> what is it? What 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 constitutes a long knife? At what point does it become a sword? I might say the word dagger. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Because I think and of anything sword, with, two, with two with bl- two two sides hmm I probably would have known at one point, but I have purged that information from my brain as useless. If somebody attacks me in a dark alley, I'm not going to be like, wait, is that a dagger or is it a long knife? Is it a dirk? Would <laughs> you call it a short sword? <laughs> Maybe, uh, no, actually, I don't remember the word well enough to continue this joke. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to try a name on a really obscure type of knife, except I realized I don't know how to pronounce it. Pronunciation strikes again. Yeah, it's our Achilles heel. <laughs> don't you mean you're a shield heel? <laughs> fun fact: Ender's Game ruined me for correctly pronouncing Achilles because there's a character in it where his name is spelled Achilles, but it's pronounced a because he's French. That's the worst. Yeah, yeah. I don't even want to know that as a fun fact. It's an <laughs> unfun fact. <laughs> Anything <laughs> involving Orson Scott Card is an unfun fact. Yes. There is no wolf to eat you, Bunny. I don't think we had gotten to that.
1: What did she mean by that? I mean, well, obviously, she meant, you know, if you stay here, nothing bad is gonna happen to you.
0: Yeah, like, you are free to make the choice. Irene does get referred to in another, like, two chapters as the wolf at Sunnis's door. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, in this dream of, of Moira that he has where she says there is no will to eat you, he sees her as appearing in the barracks, which I think that's the first- all the other times he has dreamt that he visited her in her library, and this time it's- she's coming down to see him, and I don't know if there's a significance to that. It's on him now, it's in his life, like he can't go to that refuge anymore. And isn't there something earlier about how, as he accepts his life as a slave, more and more he dreams about the library less and less? Yeah.
1: yeah. Which makes sense when you think that the dreams were to, like, prepare him for kingship, but as he made it look less and less likely, by settling mm-hmm. in there, being proceeded. That's chapter seven. Next time, Sophos temporarily becomes the
0: main character in a spy movie! Thank you to Madeline K., Emily M., and Michelle C. for becoming supporters of the podcast. There is a link at the end of our episode description for that. If you're interested, send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your neighbors.
1: Uh, we need to be the a thank-you-for-listening, which has been an amateur embroidery production. reproduction. find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Anywhere Podcasts are available.
0: book (laughs) nice.